Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of the Best Boss Ever podcast series. I'm Carl Thomas, your host for the series, where every week we'll explore the best and the worst bosses, employees, relationships, leadership, management styles, what works, what doesn't, and why, and everything in between. I co-called Bill Carter in late 2000 or maybe even early 2001. I just read an article in the Sports Business Journal, which for everybody listening is sort of the Wall Street Journal of sport and has been for 20 plus years. I read about his company, Fuse Marketing, and how they were emerging as one of the leading youth marketing agencies in the country. What followed was a familiar dance in the world of mergers and acquisitions, because you see, what I was trying to do was buy the Fuse Marketing Agency, and it was my job to convince Bill and his partners that we were their best option. We sort of knew they were looking around, and so over the next several months, there were countless calls, dozens of meetings at various industry conferences, trips to New York City, Burlington, Vermont, where Fuse is still headquartered and where Bill lives full time, Boston and London, where my company at the time was headquartered. We danced and we danced, but we didn't close the deal. But that initial call led to a 20 plus year friendship and mutual respect in the sports marketing and sponsorship industry in the world of agencies. So, Bill, we're thrilled that you carved out the time to join us this morning. Welcome to the Best Boss Ever podcast series, and thanks for being here. Carl, it's great to talk to you again, and I miss our conversations. As you mentioned, we've known each other a long time, and I've learned a lot from you, and I'm happy to be here with you today. Well, it's awesome to have you, and we'll have many more of those conversations going forward. But for the moment, let's get started here. You're on the Best Boss Ever podcast series. So the logical question is, who was the best boss you ever had, why, and what you learned? You know, Carl, I've listened to all or most of your previous editions of the Best Boss Ever, and I might throw you for a loop here right out of the gate, because I knew this question was coming, and I really thought long and hard about it for the last couple of weeks. You know, I don't, I'm not saying this merely to be uh, contrarian. I, I, re- I really believe this, in which I actually don't have an individual in a traditional sense where I would call she or he my best boss ever, meaning that I've never worked for an organization where I had a boss who also worked for that organization who provided leadership and learning and growth opportunities and all the things that we associate with a great boss. Now, I've had the very fortunate set of circumstances in which I've had others in really a non-traditional capacity fill that void. I've had great coaches. I've had great teachers. I've had later in life in a professional capacity, and what we'll talk about today really great role models that were either partners or mentors or really, I think most fascinating for me were clients that I had really early in my career that really served almost in that boss-like role. 
that I, you know, they were in a leadership position. Um, I reported to them and I learned a lot from those people. And I learned a lot in those circumstances, which is, I know a little bit different than the answers you probably get most of the time you ask that question, but I really never had a great individual boss that I can look back to. And then by the way, part of that is merely because I was an entrepreneur by the time I was 27, right? And so I didn't have a lot of opportunities to be in a traditional work environment and be around a lot of bosses. I really only had that for a handful of years. And then I was sort of off on my own or with partners, sort of stumbling through and figuring things out. But I looked to really clients early in my career that filled that role for me and that I learned a ton from. All of those count, Bill. Coaches, professors, teachers, role models. And I actually really like that you called out clients in that regard, because in a business environment, by definition, there are buyers and sellers. And in your role as the head of an agency, your job on the business development side was to find new clients, which means you were selling the services, the intelligence, the strategic chops of everything that Fuse brought to the table, but what you've just described is how well, how deeply, and how attentive you were around listening to your clients. And I think that is such a core piece of business learning, regardless of which side of the desk you're on. Yeah. And it's funny you mentioned listening, Carl. Not funny. It's spot on, right? I mean, it's probably, you know, now in hindsight, something I can look back on over, you know, 20, 25 years of my career and say that even if I wasn't naturally a gifted listener, I learned to be because I saw the success that people around me that were great listeners, what that did for them, the sort of empathy that they were then able to have for others, the fact that others were more willing to follow in what they were presenting if their leadership style was one in which listening was really valued. And I think back and I'll maybe try to answer your question specifically with a couple of names, if you'll allow me, you know, early in my career, I think about, you know, one of our first clients, which I think we'll talk about quite a bit today, was the Mountain Dew brand at Pepsi. And there was a guy who was only a couple of years older than me who was leading that brand on a day-to-day basis. His name was Dave Berwick. Now, probably not surprisingly, Dave Berwick has gone on to have a, a phenomenal career. He had a great career at Pepsi. He's been you know, a couple of other places, and now he's the, the CEO and or president at Sam Adams. And so I think about, you know, who Dave was at that time, a great listener, somebody who really was open to learning, genuinely interested in what those around him were saying, you know, and, and here was a guy who had gone to Middlebury, gone to Harvard Business School, you know, really had a great presence in the room, but it was clear that he was listening to others all the time and that he genuinely wanted to learn from people. And so those are the kinds of people that I was very lucky to be around early in my career and learn from. He was, in a sense, a great boss. 
So interesting because I had a client relationship with PepsiCo when I was running all of the corporate partnership at Universal Studios. And Dave was a part of that management team. And it was the larger PepsiCo relationship, but in all of the Universal theme parks, then we were pouring not only Pepsi and Diet Pepsi, but also Mountain Dew. And if memory serves, Dave went on to a couple of international posts on the Frito-Lay side. And I think prior to the Boston Brewing Company, which you just referenced, Sam Adams, he was also the CEO at Pete's Coffee. That's right. That's exactly right. You've hit the bio perfectly. You know, there was also another guy that was really, you know, it's funny because they would laugh at me calling them mentors because we're about the same age. But, you know, I, I think, you know, age has very little to do with mentorship. You know, it's it's sort of what two people are willing to to sort of gain from each other. And there was a guy by the name of John Steffens. Uh, John was leading the Right Guard brand at Gillette. When I know him, Gillette was a company that we had pitched and we were lucky enough to become an agency of record for the Right Guard brand right around the time that John and that brand wanted to to get more involved in action sports and marketing to a much younger consumer. You know, and John was a guy and still is a guy, he's now president of Zildjian. He he was a guy who was always genuinely humble. Again, you knew how smart he was. You knew how hardworking he was, but he was the first person to give credit to others. He was the first person to deflect you know, somebody giving him a lot of credit for something. It was always about the team. It was always about his team, the wider agency team. And so again, you know, early in my career, and I'm talking now about, you know, say 1997 to around 2001, right around the time that you and I became acquainted with one another, they were people that really had a great effect on my career and I think leadership style and the ability to be a pretty good boss at my own agency for over 20 years. Well, while you might not have reported to either Dave or John, clearly their leadership style, the way they brought their team to the front, the capabilities that they displayed as leaders and managers and allowing their teams to actually do the work is is a testament to both those and kudos to you for having run into those two guys at obviously a seminal moment in your career. You had mentioned action sports and I want to pivot a little bit here into the Fuse story because if memory serves and you'll correct me if I'm wrong, Fuse was born out of, if you will, one of the early leaders in action sports Jake Burton's company, Burton Snowboards. And once that sort of, if you will, out-of-house agency began to formulate and and sort of foment, help our listeners understand, you know, a a quick bite about the formation and then give us a couple of, of stories as you rolled into the decade between, you know, 2000 and 2010 and then, and then on into, you know, the last decade. Sure. So, The idea of a marketing agency like Fuse, and Fuse itself, was actually created by a woman named Teresa Bowker. She had been a longtime employee of Burton Snowboards, and this would have been the mid-1990s, 95, 96. 
And really, when the sport of snowboarding, you know, got a tremendous shot in the arm, huge growth in terms of participation and equipment sales and visibility to the sport, not to mention it was becoming really the driving force and the growth within the snow sports industry as mountains all over the country opened their arms at least more than they had to the sport of snowboarding, where skiing, the sport of skiing had sort of stagnated. And so Teresa had the idea of an agency that could help brands as they became more interested in the sport of snowboarding. And when Teresa and I met and my partner, Brett Smith, who went on to be a partner of mine for over 20 years, when we sort of got together, it was right around the time that Teresa, you know, what I thought was a great idea, but she didn't really have a real interest in pursuing the idea much further than she had. Brett and I had a tremendous amount of energy for the idea and wanted to take it further. And so we thought, though, that the idea needed to be really bigger than snowboarding. It really had to be around action sports. And so not only was there a tremendous interest in snowboarding at the time, but skateboarding, snowboarding, freestyle motocross, BMX, wakeboarding to some degree, we're all sort of seeing growth. And so we really put our stake in the ground around Fuse being an agency that would help brands reach teen and young adult consumers utilizing an action sports platform. So most of the time, the brands that we were working with at the time, and again, this is early days, this is say 97 to 2001, you know, Gillette, Ford, Motorola, multiple Pepsi brands, but most notably Mountain Dew, we were really focused on helping them reach a teen and young adult consumer in an authentic way, utilizing those sports. And it could be through athlete marketing, athletes participating in those sports, sponsorship of events at the time. We're really just talking about X Games, but just a couple of years later, we're talking about a reformulated Vans Triple Crown at 21 events, Gravity Games, which was a large-scale event for a few years before it sort of dissipated and instepped sort of the next generation of events, particularly the Dew Tour. So that was really the early days of Fuse, very much focused on action sports. And then, you know, going back to having great clients who were really important in our career, important in my career and from a leadership perspective, it was actually the clients who came to Fuse. I'll go back, you know, you know, John Steffens and others from Gillette and other organizations who would say, I need you to help us grow even outside of action sports, you know, help us in music, help us in gaming, help us in these other platforms that we know or we believe will help our brand reach even more teens and young adults that may not have a passion for action sports, but are still sort of within the demographic that we most have an interest in. Well, that's a great backstory. Is there a particular brand, Bill, you pick it, that there's a a real, I used the word seminal a little bit ago, but a watershed moment around a particular brand that I'll just say was a rocket launcher for Fuse? Yeah, this is probably a story, some version of this story you probably hear frequently in your conversations with all kinds of business owners, which is 
there, there's sort of a an effect that happens when you have a little bit of success with one client, particularly if that client is respected and that client has some visibility. So you have to remember, you know, back in the mid 1990s, up until the mid 1990s, the Mountain Dew brand at Pepsi was really a regional soft drink in the South tied really to, and I'm not using this phrase in a derogatory way, they actually used it in their marketing. It was the hillbilly drink, right? It was really tied to the culture of the South. If it was tied at all to sports, it was tied to NASCAR, but it was really regional. And what we did with Pepsi was help build a platform that allowed the brand to speak to teens and young adults across the country that was not regional. And action sports really had that ability. Kids were BMX biking in Georgia and Florida, just like they were in California and Washington State. And so developing the action sports platform for Mountain Dew really put us on the map. And at the same time, having nothing to do with you know, what we were doing in that sense was the development of the X Games. And because Mountain Dew was a sponsor of the X Games, which was a relationship that we helped cultivate and certainly one that we led in terms of activation, other brands within a period, Carl, I mean, this will sort of make you laugh and might surprise you a little bit in terms of the speed. You know, we went from essentially having one client, this is Fuse, having one client, the Mountain Dew brand at Pepsi, in say the at the end of 1997, beginning of 1998, and within 18 months, we had Pepsi, Gillette, Ford, and Motorola were all Fuse clients, and we were working on action sports platforms that included athlete marketing, event marketing, PR, bunch of other tactical areas. But we had those four clients. And we literally had 25 people in one office in Burlington, Vermont, and we were working for those all, you know, Fortune 100 companies. I love that. That is a great backstory. And you mentioned the X Games. And I mean, I know the X Games, and we both know the founder at ESPN who launched the X Games, Ron Semio. And the point I would make is that was in the early 90s, and it was actually called the Extreme Games for a while, and then it got shortened to X Games, and now it's simply X. So I think it's fair to say that Fuse and those Fortune 100 clients you just ticked off were probably in the collective, in the aggregate, really the formation of the sort of confluence of commercial execution and activation by, I mean, you know, at the time, Motorola was an old TV brand and was just moving into, you know, what I will call current technologies, but they needed to talk to youth. And I love that Fuse was the glue for all of that. You know, this is sort of a leading question. One of the things Fuse has been noted for, for at least the past 15 years, prior to your exit and going forward with the now owners of Fuse, Issa and Julie, the point I'm making here is the research that you all did. What research were you able to access that helped you strategize with Pepsi 
on how to take Mountain Dew from a regional to a national brand, seemingly all around action sports, seemingly around a national event platform, whether it's X, whether it's Gravity Games, whether it's the Dew Tour, or whatever the follow-on event platforms were in the later years. Talk to us about research. And then as you explain research, I know there's sort of one research moment where you expected an outcome, which researchers should never do, but you can't hardly help that. And then the outcome actually shocked you. Yeah. So I'm actually going to jump right to the the second part of your question, if you'll allow me, and sort of bypass the early days of Mountain Dew and action sports. And certainly there was research involved there. But I think in all honesty, it was more about the numbers that action sports were generating in terms of participation and year-over-year growth. That sort of quantitative view of it was what was getting Pepsi excited. They were not yet fully knowledgeable, and I think Fuse played a role in that later, fully knowledgeable and invested in the culture of action sports. That's what they got excited about. We were hired by Gatorade, and Gatorade had long been, and obviously still is, a major sort of beyond a major brand across traditional stick and ball sports. And, you know, it was during a phase that Coca-Cola and some other companies were out there trying to erode and take a little piece away from Gatorade. And the other thing that was happening, Carl, was Gatorade was seeing the writing on the wall, too, that the traditional stick and ball sports had sort of reached a peak and were actually declining in participation. And it was because teens and young adults were, mainly teens, were gravitating towards action sports, individual sports like surfing and snowboarding and skiing and skateboarding. And Gatorade came to us and said, you know, we really have an interest in understanding that consumer. They didn't say that they were committed to that consumer, but they wanted to better understand that consumer. So I'll never forget, you know, when they asked us to put together a research plan, you know, Fuse was not and still is not committed to an individual style of research. And what we decided at the time was really the best style that was going to have the impact educationally that Gatorade wanted was by having us go out to Southern California to begin with, walk in and start doing one-on-one, one-on-two, one-on-three interviews. So individual interviews, dyads, triads with skaters at a skate park and getting to understand what their day-to-day life was like. What are their beliefs? What are their behaviors? What are their challenges? And in the context of those conversations, and we started in Southern California, Carl, but we had these conversations at skate parks literally all over the country for three months. And what was learned, and it was not even what was intended, but what was learned was that Gatorade was already being consumed at these skate parks. In other words, these skaters were already rightfully considering themselves as athletes. And because young athletes on a football field, on a basketball court, or in a skate park 
need that kind of hydration, a lot of skaters were drinking Gatorade. They already had sort of assimilated into a portion of sports culture. And when we were able to show that to Gatorade, you know, we, again, you know, we're walking into that office in Chicago with a giant book, a, literally a printed book, which was done intentionally. You know, we didn't want to present it on a screen. We wanted them to literally have to turn the pages and see the faces and see the quotes of these skaters. And again, pages after pages of, you know, what they believed in, a little bit about their behavior, what they were concerned about, what their life was like. And then they flip to a page, Carl, you know, that says like picture of a kid drinking Gatorade at a skate park in Northern California or something. And with a description of this skater talking about, you know, why they drink Gatorade. And it was no different than they would have described it had they been playing youth football or basketball in high school. And so that got Gatorade excited so much so that they actually did, in fact, end up pursuing an action sports strategy, enacted an action sports strategy, and had one in place for many years. Copy that. That makes perfect sense. Listen, Bill, we've got about three minutes left, and I want to talk to you about three regular bits that we do with every guest. And the first one is just give us the high-level most favorite mistake that you ever made and what you learned from it? You know, I don't have an individual dramatic or traumatic moment to point to, but I think, Carl, early in my career, I made the mistake of not verbally acknowledging how meaningful it was to me that everybody had contributed to success. And I know that probably makes me sound like a bad boss, you know, but I think I just assumed that because we were a relatively small team, a very small team at the beginning, say 10 people, then 20, then 40, then 50, but still a small team. I just assumed that when we were successful at something that everybody felt that wind at their back. And it took me several years to recognize, and I think really even sort of grow up and have the experience to recognize that that was actually a mistake, that even with the victories, you still had to pull people aside and explain and confirm to them one-on-one that what they had individually contributed was a difference maker in the team succeeding. And I wish I could have that time back because I never meant to dismiss anybody's contribution. And I knew what they contributed and I really felt positive about it, but I didn't make a big enough deal about it to them directly. And I wish I had that time back to do it. Well, that's so insightful. And by the way, you're not the first one on my guest list to say that. It's so important to acknowledge those successes at the individual level. Otherwise, that individual, for whatever reason, might feel left out or not appreciated. And that's the last thing a leader in a tightly knit team wants to have happen. So the good news is you learn from it. And that probably is a big part of the follow-on success of Fuse. So you had mentioned music a little bit ago as part of the pantheon of ways and means that youth interacts 
and the brands approach the youth. So can you give us your favorite female artist or band? So I have many, but I'm really on an Aretha Franklin kick right now. <laughs> so if you call me almost any time that I'm working, that I've been working in the last three months, I'm probably listening to Aretha. Love that. She's, uh, she's an icon in the space and good for you. So last piece, we've talked a lot, a lot of words and words describe a lot of things. Your favorite word and why? I love the phrase, not the word, but I love when I hear the words, thank you, not to me. You know, I was thinking about this the other day. I heard my kids say thank you to somebody in a really genuine, a really meaningful way. And man, it just, it makes you feel so good to hear somebody say thank you when they really mean it and it's in their heart. You know, I, another example is I saw a coach that I've been working with, the way he said thank you to um, a data science partner that I had brought in to work on a project. You know, here's this coach. He doesn't know anything about data science, but he acknowledges the work that my partner in that area had done. And the way he said thank you, he didn't say more than the words thank you, but you could tell he meant it. And when you hear those words and somebody really means it, man, it's, it's the best. Well, thank you, Bill Carter. Uh, <laughs> well, I didn't mean to set you up, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> well, you did, but you've been awesome. I so appreciate you being willing to spend the time. It was a great conversation. Lots of nuggets and value adds in there for our audience. Can't thank you enough, Bill. And thanks for being a great friend. You too, Carl. It's great to be here. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening, everybody. There's more to come every week. So please, Subscribe and rate us at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, Pandora, and many others. Also visit our website at thebestbossever.com where you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and LinkedIn, as well as find more compelling content. Until next week, remember, words matter.